Today we would like to welcome our Radio KKVV listeners, as well as our online viewers. If you would like to receive a copy of today's service, you can go online at www.abundantlifelv.com. Today is Youth Day at Abundant Life, and the message will be coming from our youth pastor, Pastor Lee Wars. Before we hear from him, we will hear another selection from our Abundant Life Christian Academy Choir. Hear ye him.
Happy Sabbath, church. That's just a foretaste of what will be coming at 4 p.m. this afternoon. So if you miss it, you indeed have missed something, a huge part of your life. Want to thank Sister Washington, our Academy uh, principal, for such dedication, and Sister Robin, and everyone who chips in, and Sister Johnson, Anissa, for working hard with the youth. I am there, so I know it's not easy stuff. <laughs> um, and God has blessed them. So I hope to see you at 4 p.m. this afternoon to partake of what they have in store, and they have it in store. Good job, children. Good job. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father and our God, we thank you for this moment. We thank your God that you would come by here to join us in worship. Bless us, O oh God, as we open your word today. May our lives be transformed to look more like your son, Jesus, is my prayer in, in his name. Amen. I want to say welcome to Elder Humphrey. Nice to see you here again. And if you're visiting for the first time, I want to take this opportunity to welcome you. You could have chosen somewhere else, but you chose Abundant Life. And I'm excited that you are here. To those who are listening on the radio and those who are watching us online, it's a privilege to have you, and it's our pleasure. It's Youth Day, and so we get uh, a chance to participate and to lead out in a more uh, detailed way today, and we are very grateful for that, for the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. We are very glad just to have the opportunity to occupy the platform. If you turn your Bibles uh, to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter. Joshua judges Ruth. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we want to pick this up at verse 6. Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. Have you found it? Say amen. amen. All right. Let's do it. The Bible reads, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord 
looks at the heart. I want to share with you, I'm right on today, few minutes to noon. I want to share with you for the next few moments, under the title, I've entitled this as I wrestled with it, Beneath the Cover. Beneath the Cover. Whenever you hear, still waters run deep. Don't judge a book by its cover. Or you see a sign, beware of bad dogs. Most people instinctively become anxious or hesitant. These indeed are words of wisdom, especially to someone branded the first billion dollar athlete. You know where I'm going. The world's most famous golfer, Tiger, who is not quite out of the woods, forced to come clean by the media that would not accept that his Escalade merely wanted to have a conversation with the fire hydrant. We are told that the golfer took a gander, a gander at another woman. One round turned into another. And Tiger is now not only a world-renowned golfer, but a world-renowned true player for real. <laughs> One careless glance turned into romance. And you're off the fairway, smack dab, trapped in the quicksand, the sand pit, bunkers. Old folk used to say kisses that are easily obtained are easily forgotten. But you know, the consequences tend to linger. Enter Kobe Bryant. In a bid to save image first and then his marriage, invested in a four million dollar diamond ring to make it all go away. And, and what about Mr. David Letterman making light of his infidelity on late night TV to much amusement and hoopla, if you please. The question people are asking, and I know you are too, can Tiger repair his image? He took a break off, took time out. But is it really about image and appearance? The truth be told, brothers and sisters, we are preoccupied with appearance. Pick up Ebony. Thumb through the O magazine. And you can be sure that they are selling looks. Sexy looks. Smart looks. Successful looks. Dolce and Gabbana and Louis Vuitton are about appearances. You can even hire an expert to dress you for success. 
in the business world. The incredible cosmetic industry is about appearance. Or how about, how about the health and exercise industry? The diets, the shakes, the vitamins, the variety of machines, and the books in the self-help sections of your favorite bookstore. We know they are not simply about living longer. The concern for appearance is the driving theme. I don't break my back working out with my wife doing Billy Blanks because it's pure fun. We want not only to keep going, but we want to keep glowing. How about the money we spend on our homes and yards? We want them to be more than functional. In fact, out here in Vegas, we want them so perfect, we make them artificial. We want them to be beautiful and impressive. We make a statement about who we are with the expenditure of vast thought and energy to get them right. Isn't it about appearance? Now, this portion of scripture that was read is not about criticism. The text is not passing judgment on us. Just stating the facts. We appreciate beautiful things and fitting in and looking good. Appearances are important. Some people say it's the first thing you see. That's the last thing that lasts. Stays with you. Appearances are important, but there are problems with appearances. When it comes to human assessment and interaction, they are inevitably misleading. Hence, my subject beneath the cover. 1 Samuel 9, 17. 1 Samuel 9, 17. Let's, I want you to see that with me. 1 Samuel 9, 17. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. Saul, first king of the young nation of Israel, was a Samarelli failure. Erratic, depressed, Paranoid, always in danger of destroying the fragile unity of the scattered tribes. God speaks to Samuel and he goes to a little town east of Jerusalem called Bethlehem in search of a successor to Saul. And now, 1 Samuel 16 verse 1 and verse 13, the Bible says, 1 Samuel 16, 1, verse 13, the Bible says, finally, finally, the Lord said to Samuel, now take a vial of olive oil and go to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse, for I have selected one of his sons to be the new king. So, as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the olive oil he had brought and poured it upon David's head. 
You see, not only were these two called to positions of great responsibility, more importantly, they were both called in their youth. Youth day. In their youth. And most importantly, they were both called by God. Two men, similar in their beginnings, different in their endings. David, close to the end of his life, after years of leadership and service, gathered the princes of Israel, and although weakened by illness and age, with power and fervor, he delivered his dying charge. First to his people, 1 Chronicles 28.8 says, Now therefore, David speaking, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children. For your children. After you, forever. Second to his son Solomon, he directed, 1 Chronicles 28 and 9, Know the God of your father. Good instruction. And serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. The end. Of the life of a man after God's own heart. But Saul's last moments were like night and day. On the plains of Shunem, conscious the spirit of God has left him, frantically, desperately fighting for his life. Sadly, his sons are cut down in front of him, severely wounded as a last resort. The Bible tries to put it nice says he falls on his sword. But we know he committed suicide. The end of a life in despair and dishonor. Their start in life so similar, yet their end so different. And it bothers me. It bothers me, church. It bothers me. Why the difference? Why? Well, like I tell my, my Bible students, let's dig a little deeper. Let's dig a little deeper. For David, his revealing crisis centered on the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, who carried the child of the adulterous David. Now, these days, it's hardly called adultery. It's airbrushed to a level. It's now an affair. Nevertheless, Uriah is sent to his death, while one preacher I heard said, as David in hot blood committed adultery and in cold blood committed murder. When confronted by prophet Nathan with the parable recounting how the rich man had taken the only lamb of his poor brother, followed by the charge, thou art the man. In this moment of crisis, we see the real David. 
the repentant David, who with trembling lips says, I have sinned against the Lord. However, for Saul, the revealing crisis finds him returning victoriously from battle against the Amalekites. But is sparing Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and the people taking for themselves the finest flocks and cattle were directly disobedient to the revealed command of God. And yet, Saul greeted the prophet Samuel with a lie. 1 Samuel 15, verse 13. Here's what Saul said. Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. No sooner had the lie left his lips than the proof of his deceit became obvious. You, you know, that's how the devil, you know how he works us over, you know. You think you have everything covered around too. You, you know, you have your ends covered. Everything is right. But somehow, he always trips us up. Because just as, he, as he's saying to the prophet Samuel, I, I, I have done, I have performed the commandment of the Lord, you hear some sounds like ba and moo, lingering in the background. Oops. Even so, even so, Sister Washington, even so, you, you know how this is. Even so, Saul was in a state of denial. But when pressed by Samuel to tell the truth, <laughs> he confessed the guilt of the people. They did it. But maintained his innocence. His words, his words. Let, let's get into the dialogue. I feared the people and obeyed their voice. <laughs> Samuel was not asking Saul to snitch Magdala. Wasn't asking Saul to, to break out on the people. Uh, uh, the prophet was asking Saul to man up and take responsibility for his actions. There it is, beneath the cover. The difference is to be found beneath the cover. The difference between triumph on one hand and tragedy on the other is to be found beneath the cover. Not in an image or appearance. It's about character. I'll give that to Tiger for free. <laughs> it is found in character. Do not, the prophet says, look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, for the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look, we look, that's us, you know, he's talking about us. Uh, they look on the outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. Appearance is important. In fact, when Samuel finally does find God's candidate, the eighth son that Jesse had not even thought to bring along, he discovers that he is ruddy, healthy looking, and beautiful eyes. 
Sisters like beautiful eyes. Don't have to be handsome, but beautiful eyes. And this is the problem with the parents. See, with the media and its images, they tell us that the wonderful rapper on the gift corresponds to its contents. Merry Christmas. It may be the fact that the screen seduces us into believing that what we see is, is seeing is actually knowing. Reality shows invite us to look and assume that we are learning something. To believe that if a man or a woman is handsome, beautiful, uh, likable, magnetic of appearance, he is safe to follow. That everything that glitters is gold. Appearances are misleading. As we look at others, and appearances are misleading as we look at ourselves. I look beautiful. Mm. But, but what if the way a man looks tells you almost nothing about who he really is? No, we got some people here can testify. What if the most important realities in life are not visual at all, but spiritual? Are known through thought and word rather than image and picture. Youth, a spiritual problem. A spiritual problem. Huh? Spiritual problem. Can only and must be solved through spiritual means. It's nice to have lots of activities, isn't it? Huh? Keep busy. Socials and everything. It's nice! But activities won't fix your problem. A spiritual problem must be solved through spiritual means. Got to tell you a story. You know, in high school, in high school I noticed that all the tall guys, Dr. Rock, <laughs> tall guys, you know, they had all the ladies. Yes. The tall guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not picking on my senior pastor. You don't, don't, don't do that. The tall guys, they were flocked, Magdalene, by the ladies, tall brothers. They had these girls, boys and girls, they, they had the sisters buying them Christmas presents. Yeah. And I didn't have a budget, you see. I, <laughs> oh, mom, you know, you know it's true. Yes. Didn't have a budget. Every time at the end of, of the term, we had Christmas party, you know, in our high school. And the brothers had multitude of gifts, and I had nada. <laughs> Since I didn't have any money, it didn't take me long, though. It didn't take me long to figure out something. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I figured out that I needed to improve my physiognomy, you know. I needed muscles. I needed muscles, man. I needed muscles. I tell you, I needed muscles, and I would do what it takes to get muscles. Since I would be short, I wouldn't just be poly, you know. If I can't go up, I better go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my dad, he, he got some weights, and I worked those weights every day before I go off to school. Soon enough, I feathered up nice. <laughs> I feathered up, and, and now, now I'm getting some attention, finally. Yeah. So when I didn't have any money, well, you know, I'd have lunch. Just leave it at that. I'd have lunch. But later on in life, later on in life, it took me a long time before my wife, amen, to learn that there's much more beyond the muscles. Beyond the muscles, beyond the outer, more work had to be done. For when this fails, when this fails, there has to be something left called character. Appearances are important, important, but not enough. By no means enough. What can we do to escape assessing others and ourselves by the way we look? We need a new way of seeing. We need to learn to see one another and ourselves with the eyes of God. We need to learn to listen and sense the soul beneath the cover, the beauty and the strength within. We need to look at one another with eyes that are patient and perceptive enough to pick up the decor of the soul. We need a new way of seeing ourselves and we need a new way of growing ourselves. I know you're asking about David. David is by no means a finished product. But he is open to the impact of the Spirit of God while Saul is not. In case you have noticed, external beauty will fade. Ha. Oh, can I, I want to be transparent. It's you there. I want to be transparent. I remember when I had hair on my head. And my wife, Sister Rock, I'm going to use this one time, all right? I know you told me not to do this, but I'm going to use it one time. Forgive me. And my wife, she told me, don't worry, your hair won't go. I have the secret ointment to make it grow. And I'm still waiting for the secret ointment, as you can see. This external beauty will fade. Fray around the edges, no matter how much we paint it over. Or Botox the wrinkles. Lipo the fat. Magnify or reduce parts of the body. Try to make 10 years look like 1,000. I just wanted a youth 
and everyone here to know, God sees the heart. God sees the heart. His eye searches the deep contours of our minds. And he knows every snaps. You can tell I've been reading my wife's anatomy book. He can see every snaps and every neuron. And he knows what moves the limbic system, the seat of our emotion. He knows what's on your mind as you sit here. He's about to break out his stethoscope and move that divine x-ray over our souls. What will he see beneath the cover? Will he see the word of God beneath the cover? When that divine x-ray moves over your mind, what will the Lord see? Beneath the cover, you know, it's beautiful, thank you. It's beautiful on the outside. It's nice. It's very nice on the outside. And God, when he moves his hands over you, you know, he sees that under the fancy coat, it's you, Faith. I want... I want you to recognize beneath my fancy coat there are scars and the scars tell you where you have been but they don't have to determine where you will go. God (laughs) beneath the cover God chooses those who are ready. When Jesse and David's brothers are brought in before Samuel, they are sanctified. In other words, their sins are dealt with and they are made ready for worship. When David is brought, there's no time for him to be sanctified, but he is ready nonetheless. David is a picture of that believer who keeps his heart in a state of readiness. He does not know when the Lord might call him youth so he stays ready at all times that is the kind of youth god is looking for today god does not use dirty vessels but he uses those who desire to be clean and ready for his call beneath the cover god chooses those who are reliable when god calls david he finds him faithfully doing what he has been told to do He's keeping the sheep. He's doing a humble, lonely job. But he does it because it is what he has been assigned to do. After he's anointed, he goes back to his flock. Why? Because that is what he does. Even after he's called to Jerusalem to play for King Saul, he returned to keep his father's sheep. Why? Because that is what he does. David was given an assignment and he carried it out faithfully. He's willing to put his life on the line to protect the sheep. When Jesse looked at David, he saw the youngest of his sons. His brothers saw a little kid. Samuel saw a handsome young man. But when God looked at David, he saw integrity, faithfulness, responsibility, and character. 
Beneath the cover, God chooses those who are redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. When Samuel anointed David and perhaps whispered God's plan in his ear, this was not David's first encounter with God. David had seen the glory of God written in the heavens and the power manifested in the universe, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and a firmament shows his handiwork. David had witnessed God's tender care for his people in his own relationship to his flock, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now if you missed it, here it is. God calls those who know him. His sheep knows his voice. Those, those who know him in a faith relationship, who live clean lives, who are ready, reliable, and available are people to be used by the Lord. He chooses his vessels from the redeemed folk. Calvary is not about cosmetics. It's not about image. When we gaze upon the old rugged cross, it's not about appearances. It is still ugly, brutal, and horrible. It's not, about, it's not about appearances. We see the blood, the splintered wood, the torn flesh. And not only do we see, we hear the cries of agony and the jeers of the crowd. But beneath the blood, the blooded, scarred body of Jesus, there is character. See, there were other men who were killed like that in that fashion. Yeah, yeah, there were other men crucified in like manner. But beneath the blood of Jesus, there is character. There's a heart that's thinking about you and me. And so, so, so now Jesus has died and you're wondering. You're wondering now that you're all torn up and, and you're in threads. What's going to happen? Well, when Jesus died, he made something available for me. He made the robe of righteousness available for me. So kids, you know, you don't have to worry about the little mistakes you make on the way to Jesus. Because you're on your way. And the tendency to sin is covered and we are sanctified. I told you what sanctified means in class. You remember. And Lord is cleansing you on a daily basis. He redeemed you and you're forgiven. And he puts on the robe. Now I, I got good news and bad news. You want the good news first? All right. The good news is Jesus offers his robe of righteousness for free. It's free. You can put it on. God puts it on and you don't have to pay. It is free. Amen. Bad news is you can take it off. You, God is not forcing you to keep this on. Huh? The robe of righteousness, it is for free. And we are covered by his blood. We think of his strength 
of soul, his acceptance and his love. Jesus triumphed over the shame, the cruelty and the horror of it. He converted the symbol of slavery and wickedness into a symbol of whatever is most pure and glorious in the world. Are you here today? And you want to just throw the towel in. You are tired of the sham. You're tired of the pretenses. And you want this robe of righteousness. I am telling you, no one can keep you out of heaven but yourself. The only person, I'll say it again, who can keep you out of heaven is you. <laughs> it's you. And I'm wondering, I know you came in here today, you love the music, and the youth did an awesome thing, and... But I'm wondering if you're here today and you want to be loosed from that thing beneath. That thing that is bubbling up under there and you, you try to cover it up. Huh? You try to cover it up and pastor doesn't know what's going on. And but God knows. Deaconess may not know. Deacon may not know about it. Sister Washington, the principal, may not know about it. But God knows about it. He knows what you're struggling with and, and what you're trying to work out on your own. But you can't do it on your own. As long as you live, all that you try to do is as filthy rags. You've got to lay that thing down, sister. Lay it down, brother. Lay your burden down. I'm saying it. Lay it down. Say it. Lay it down. Are you here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus? It's not plain time. I had... Good time. Because God is good. You know, I'm going to tell it now. You know what? Let me tell you a little story, boys and girls. My youth, my leaders, my pathfinder director, associate leaders, AY leaders, and fellowship leaders. They work hard, and it's volunteer work. You know, I don't pay them. <laughs> But let me tell you a story. You know, when I was being baptized, I told my mother that I'm going up to the crusade. I'm going up to the crusade to be baptized. She said, wait! Let's talk about this. So I said, I said, mom, what, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? She said, but, but don't you want to think about this? Now, I didn't know that perhaps the devil was trying to work a little something back there, you know. Now I'm a little wiser. Yeah. 
you know. But you know, I left my mom that, that night, put on my shorts and my t-shirt, <laughs> and I went up there, and I said, Lord, I'm going to do this tonight. Where were you? Which Bible worker worked with you? I just heard the message over the bullhorns. You know, I heard you guys preaching up here, and I feel that tonight I want to make my decision. So my mom stayed home, you know. Probably her son is getting crazy, you know. But years later, you know, I noticed something in my mom. Something asking me more questions. And so this Sabbath here, what is this Sabbath about? And asking me more questions. And I want to tell you it's kind of difficult because I'm the son. She's my mother. So she's parent. So, so uh, you know, usually it's vice versa. You know, your parent trying to lead you to Jesus, not the son trying to lead the mother to Christ. But you know what? After years, since 1996, well, we're in 2009, well, my mother told me, I'm ready. Right. I want to be baptized. I can't wait. Huh? <laughs> I want you to baptize me. And I'm saying to myself, this is all about God. Amen. That's nothing to do with me. I really want my mom to be in heaven. Of course I do. And I told her straight up, you don't give your life to the Lord, you're not going to make it. As you say. You are not going to make it. And I want to see you in heaven. But I'm glad I'm glad that she listened to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. And I'm wondering today if the Holy Spirit is talking to you and moving up on your heart. And this is about you, nobody else around you. You know what you need. And, and, and beneath the cover, something is going on. Play me, pass me not, O oh gentle Savior. Yes. Pass me not, O oh gentle Savior. And can you sing that with me? Maybe somebody's here and want to say, yes, Lord. Today is my turn. Come on down here to the front. There's much room. The doors of the church are open. Pass me not, oh, gentle Savior. Sing it with me. Pass me not, oh, gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. If you're here, come on down. Say, excuse me, please. Come on down. Is there a young person here today? You're visiting for the first time or you've been coming? Come on down to the front. Is there someone here? You're a young person. Youth in the church, come on down to the front. Is there someone here? Come on down. 
this is it for you. Maybe you have done this walk before. You have done this walk before. But you know that today you want this to be it. You want it to be it. And you're here. You know what's going on beneath. And you know what you need. Jesus is saying, today is it, sister. Today is it, brother. Come on down, would you? Come on down to the front. While another's thou art calling. While another's thou art calling. Oh, stand with me, stand with me. Do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. I know you're here. I know you're here. I know you are here. Maybe you're a youth in this church. And you know things haven't been going as you, you have been wanting. You know you have been working. You have been working on a relationship with Jesus. Amen. But every time you make one step forward, it seems like you make two steps back. Yes. And you're here today not by accident. You're not in here because of accident or by chance. God ordained this moment for you. Come down here and make your commitment to Jesus. Say, excuse me. Excuse me. I want to make a commitment to Jesus. I'm right here. I didn't just come here today to preach and leave. I believe that Jesus, Jesus ordained this moment specifically for someone to be saved from eternal death and to be given eternal life. Are you here? Well, if you're shy, I'll tell you what you do. On the back of the bulletin, Bible workers are here. But if you want, and you would like to have some Bible studies, you can just make a note, hand it to me. I don't want to lose it, or any of our ushers here. Our Bible workers right here. If you want it to be so, we will collect it at the door. Let us pray. Dear God and our Father, we thank you for your word today. We have been reminded, oh God, that there's much more than appearance. Much more to the outer. But Lord, we have learned today that you're after our hearts. And while we may carry on and whistle away past the graveyard, as if we are okay, 
You know the real deal, O oh God. You know what we need. And so, Lord, we thank you for offering this gift to us for free. It is free, O oh God, but we know it cost you your life. The life of your son, Jesus. And so at this moment, as I close this prayer, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, Lord, you know we want to give this opportunity to somebody who has been wrestling here today to surrender. While the church is praying, you want to make that commitment to Jesus and you're here. Father, we thank you for what you have done and what you will do. We leave here, O oh God, with the assurance that our commitment to you is sealed for those for heaven. But please, O oh God, for those who did not take this opportunity, Holy Spirit, continue to work to convict, O oh God, and to save. For we pray it in your name. Amen. Please be seated.